0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. It's really good that you could join us again this Sunday. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer before we actually look at God's word. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, I really pray that you will help us once again uh, to look at your word seriously, to let it touch our hearts, and to really be encouraged so that we may persevere uh, till Jesus comes and we find our true reality, our true eternity in the kingdom of heaven. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now as uh, every week I tell you, we need to begin by having your Bible in front of you. So you need your Bible. And it would be good also if you have a notebook in front of you together with a pen uh, so that you can continue to follow what I'm saying. So what you should have in front of you right now, is what i say every week you should have something that looks like this okay you should look it should look like having your bible in front of you as well as your pen and your notes now uh, i want to do a little poll right now uh i'm a sort of insecure sort of person i always like people to like me i'm sure that many of you like people to like you too but let's do a little poll now to see how many of you actually like to be liked by people okay so do you want to be liked very badly. I really, really want people to like me. Or somewhat. You know, I, I'm okay. I want people to like me. I'm neutral. I'm okay with people liking me or not liking me. I'm indifferent. I don't really worry about what other people think about me. Now, uh, if you are like me, uh, I, I want people to like me. And that's why, in a way, I really thank God that we have this thing called uh, expository preaching. Now, that's what we do here at BTPC. Uh, we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, section by section, deliberately and slowly. And what this means is that we look at all the parts of the Bible, some of which are interesting and some of which are popular, and some of which are actually very confrontational, and some of which which actually would make us very unpopular in the world based on what it actually says. So it's very interesting. When I actually prepared this sermon in the past, I actually listened to a few sermons, and I realized that actually there are very few uh, people who preach on Mark chapter ten because it is an unpopular passage. I think part of what makes it unpopular are the four points uh, which which I will bring out to you as we go through the sermon. And every one of these four points are really quite unpopular in the world. Now I want to show you something really interesting. Uh, last week when we preached through Zoom, uh, it was really fantastic. I, I saw many many families together. Many people were coming together, sitting together, families. I could see all the kids. And believe it or not, uh, actually, it was really, really encouraging to me because one of our kids, uh, Matthew, who I think is only seven, came up with his three points that he got from the sermon. And as you can see, it's really marvelous because actually he got all three of the main points that I preached on last week in the sense where Jesus says, if you want to be the first, you have to be the very last. And you must be willing to serve all others. And it is better to lose parts of your body than to go to hell. So I hope that by the end of today's sermon, you'll be able to get those four points, uh, just like Matthew was able to get those four points as well. So let's begin by looking at the passage. So if you look at Mark chapter 10 here in front of me, in verse 1 to 2, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea, And across the Jordan, again, crowds of people came to him. As was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, the first thing we really want to note here in this passage is that what was Jesus doing? He was teaching uh, the people. He was teaching the people. And I think that that was really important uh, because as we look at this passage here, uh, we see that really uh, that was the focus of Jesus. And as we've been going through the studies, as we've been going through Mark so far, we saw that he's been doing really two things. He's teaching them two things. He's teaching them about salvation, how to enter into God's kingdom, to stay within God's kingdom, how to be sanctified. So there's salvation and there is sanctification. So how to enter into the kingdom of God. And how to be a disciple of Jesus, how to follow Jesus. Now, as he's teaching, which is very, very important, a group of people came to him, asked him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, this is a very interesting question because, in a way, it's a strange question. Jesus is going around teaching about salvation, how to enter the King of Heaven, and sanctification, how to be a disciple. But here are these people, and they're asking him a question which is not really part of his purview, right? It's it's kind of outside of what he's doing right now. But the reason why they're doing it is because, it says there in verse 2, they were coming to test him, right? They were coming to test him. Now, if you look at this passage, uh, you can see that they were not sincere coming to Jesus. They were not serious coming to Jesus. Have we already seen in Mark chapter 1 to 9, uh, these people had come in order to trap Jesus. And as we've seen, that's what uh, has been happening and has been increasing, right? Increasing, it's a bit like a coronavirus curve, right? It's been increasing this intensity of conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Because the reality is, for Jewish society at the time, for the Pharisees at the time, they had already decided on the answer to this question, is it lawful? for a man to divorce his wife, right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They had already worked out the answer to this question. Now, in Jewish society, in Jewish popular thinking, they turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 had said, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves the house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. So for Jewish popular thinking, together with the Pharisees, they had already made up in their mind that actually it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife.
1: Now, it was so much so that the horse had already long bolted apart, the ship had already sailed
0: from the shore. This was no longer a point of contention, right? This question that they're asking Jesus is no longer a relevant question for the Pharisees and for the Jewish society. Because at that time, even their own king, King Herod, was married to a divorced woman. Uh, even within wider Jewish society, people were getting divorced and married. Now, in those days, things were so bad uh, that the question wasn't so much about whether someone could get divorced or not. It was more ma- a matter of on what grounds would it be possible for someone to divorce their wife. But how serious, uh, would the offense be, uh, to, to get someone to allow someone to be set free, in a sense, from their marriage. So if you look at this passage, it says, if he finds something indecent about her, right? So the question here is, what is this something indecent? And the popular opinion of the time was that something indecent, uh, could range all the way
1: from, um, all the way from, oh, hold on. All the way from um,
0: burning your toast uh, to putting too much salt into uh, the meal to even uh, being disrespectful in front of uh, the husband's parents. So there was a whole range of opinions about what grounds for divorce there was. Uh, but the answer of whether it was lawful to be divorced had already been answered. So here they were trying to trap Jesus because they were trying to get him in trouble with king herod and his wife they were trying to get him to be split in terms of the public opinion between the public uh, and jesus so what does jesus say in response to that question well this is what he says
1: okay he says in verse Deuteronomy. okay he says mark chapter 10 What did Moses command you?
0: He said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts are hard that Moses wrote you this law, Israel. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house, again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if he divorces a husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So I want you to look very carefully uh, to what is being said here. You see, the approach of the Pharisees was to focus on Deuteronomy chapter 24. They were looking for exceptions. They were looking for exemptions. They were looking for loopholes. They were losing, looking for excuses in order to divorce. But Jesus goes back to what did God command you? Okay, so the Pharisees' approach let's see what exceptions, what, let's see what uh, excuses, loopholes, and exemptions we can find. Jesus comes from the other direction and he's saying, what did Moses command you from the very beginning? Okay, because when you actually go back, let's go back again to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24. How does it begin? It says, if a man, right, if, can you see the word if there? If a man marries a woman, she becomes displeasing to him because she finds something decent about her. Okay, so this is not a command. If, if it's not a command. It is a reluctant concession. It is a unique allowance. It is a special consideration because of the sin, the widespread uh, practice of divorce that is already within uh, Jewish society. So what God is trying to do in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is reduce the impact of the sin on society, on the woman. But Jesus says, let's go back to the beginning because Deuteronomy comes after sin comes into the world, right? Deuteronomy 24 is trying to deal with the problem of sin after it enters into the world. Let's go back to before sin comes into the world and see what's God's command and intention and original uh, plan for marriage. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 21, it really says in verse 26, right? Okay, in 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them,
1: All right? Okay, let's go down to the next passage. Genesis 2, okay? In Genesis chapter 2, uh, what does he say
0: of man and woman? So, verse 23, starting here, right? The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become, very important word, one flesh. They become one flesh. So what we see here is that within God's original command, before the fall, before the coming of sin, uh, we see that there is uh, this plan of God that should be a focus on two things. uh, Oneness, one flesh and permanence, that they should not be separated. And that's what Jesus comes back to in Mark chapter 10. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, so if you see this passage, you see that Jesus is emphasizing not the exception, not the the loophole, which the Pharisees are focusing on, but he's focusing on the original command of God from before sin comes into the world, which is oneness, do not separate. There must be permanence in this oneness. Now, I think that as we look at this passage, it's a very, very interesting phenomena, right? Uh, Because let's not focus so much just on the divorce, but let's just focus on the way the Pharisees are reading the Bible and the way Jesus is reading the Bible. Now,
1: if you look at this passage, you can see here, that, uh, I'll put up this slideshow for you again. This is one. Great.
0: So, you can see that the way Jewish society and the Pharisees were reading the Bible was they were focusing on the exceptions in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Permissions, exemptions, excuses. But the way that Jesus focuses on reading the Bible is on focusing on the command, the will of God, the plan of God. And so today, so today, that's the first point that I think we want to note. The first unpopular point within the society that we live in. And what is the unpopular point? The unpopular point is that generally in human thinking, the human tendency is we try to think of how far we can go. Right? We, we think of like, you know, what can I do before I break the law? Like if the speed limit is 70 kilometers per hour, can I go 80 and not still be caught? Uh, you know, social physical distancing says one meter, i got to sit one meter away from other people. How close is too close? How far is too far? Right. And so, when you think about it, the law, right, in terms of human thinking, is what I can get away with and stay out of jail. And so, people come to me and we think, you know, how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? Or, we often ask, uh, what can I get away with and still not sin? And so people come and ask me, you know, is it lust if I watch this R21 movie? Uh, is it still greed if I choose to buy uh, all these things? Or can I still be faithful enough to my wife if I'm still communicating to someone uh, on WhatsApp or, some, or something? But you notice where the direction is coming from? They're coming from the Pharisee's direction. It's all about focusing on the loopholes, all about focusing on the exemptions, all about focusing on excuses. But Jesus says that as Christians, what do we have to do? We focus on the commands of God, and on the will of God. What is the original intention of God? So I'm going to do a poll of you now. Okay, I want to ask you, right, uh, second poll, what do you focus on? Uh, do you try to find exemptions, excuses to rationalize your, your sin? Is that the direction that you're always finding yourself focusing on? Or do you tend to focus on thinking so what is God's command and what is God's will and how can I do my best uh, to obey it? Because fundamentally, uh, that is the approach that Jesus wants us to take. Not to look at excuses or exemptions or rationalization, but what is God's will and command. So now let's look once again at what the Bible has to say. And the Bible, within this context, uh, speaks very clearly on this issue of divorce and remarriage.
1: Now, I know that uh, for those of us in difficult marriages, this is a very difficult thing to listen to.
0: Marriage is about faithfulness. Marriage is about fidelity. Marriage is about loyalty. But unfortunately, it's very hard. Uh, faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty in bad marriages. Uh, I was reading some statistics recently. I was shocked that the last 10 years, the divorce rate in Singapore has almost doubled. And uh, apparently since 2003, for every 10 marriages in Singapore, three will end up in divorce. But divorce is not God's intention. Divorce is not God's plan. So recently, I was trying to figure out why is it, uh, I've been reading quite a few books, uh, so many uh, couples end up divorcing. Because, you know, the, the Bible's concept is what? Of oneness, oneness, and permanence, right? Let not be separated. So why is it so many couples uh, divorce? So I came across this very, very interesting book, which I'd like to recommend to you if you ever have the
1: time to see it. Uh, it's this book called The All or Nothing uh,
0: Marriage. And it's a, it's a good marriage book I've been going through. I've only up to a few chapters. But he makes this very interesting point. Uh, he says that in modern marriages, it's not enough to be uh, married to a faithful spouse or to be married to a responsible parent. Because in the past, that's maybe what all our parents expected. As long as my husband or wife is faithful to me, as long as they are a responsible parent, then that's good enough. That's good enough to remain marriage. But this guy was saying in this all or nothing book that actually today, the expectations of marriage are much higher. I expect someone to fulfill me, uh, challenge me intellectually, I want them to excite me sexually. I want them to challenge me to grow, to be the best person I can be. Uh, I want the person to be an interesting conversationalist. I want them to help me to lead a fulfilling life. And he says that this is actually a very modern concept, uh, which is actually reflected in popular culture. And so he quotes these, uh, some very popular books, which have just come out, like Eat, Pray, Love. You see down below, it says that one woman's search for Everything, right? So, this woman is not happy with their marriage, they want everything. And there's another book that he quotes for a while where you, you're trying to find yourself, uh, but outside of marriage. Now, therefore, because we live in this popular culture, because we live in uh, this all or nothing marriage culture, uh, culture, it can be very easy for us to feel dissatisfied from marriage because we want all or nothing. And this is the expectation of society, this expectation of our culture. But the Bible tells us that regardless of how happy, in a sense, we are in our marriages, God doesn't want us to separate. He wants us to be one, permanent. And that's why when we make our marriage vows, uh, what do we end up saying in our marriage vows? Uh, We say, for better,
1: for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health. Till death uh, do us part. Till death
0: do us part. And I think that's very important because this idea of permanence and oneness is emphasized in our Christian vows of marriage. And like what the Bible tells us, focusing on God's words, obedience to God's word must take precedence over our influence by popular culture and popular thinking. So I hope that these words help you to focus more on being faithful and loyal to your marriage rather than being influenced by the society at large. But obviously, this is not the last word on marriage. If you have any more questions, please come and speak to me about this issue of marriage. Now, we're going to move on to the next topic. So the first one was, what again, it was don't come from the direction of finding excuses and rationalizing your wrong behavior. But Look at the command of God. The second thing is, which is unpopular in this world, which is focus on oneness, permanence, loyalty, fidelity in your marriages. Now, the main point really I think that Jesus talks about here is not so much uh, the idea of divorce. That's just one aspect of it. So what I want you to do now is I want you to look from verse 13 uh, to 25, and I want you to look for the phrase which is
1: most Repeated. Okay, look at verse 1325. What is the phrase that's most repeated? Okay, 1325. What is the phrase that is most repeated? Okay, repeated? Alright. Okay, so you can look at my polling results. Is it children? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it Mohammed? And if the answer, whatever answer you chose was what?
0: i want you to write out how many times was the phrase that you chose repeated in verse 13 was it repeated one time two times three times four times five times or you gave up counting so once again look at verse 13 25 the phrase that you
1: chose that kept repeating how many times is it repeated all right all right great so I think the phrase that keeps being repeated, which I think most of you probably would have thought was kingdom of
0: God, kingdom of God. So that is a phrase that keeps being repeated from verse 13 to 25. And the reason why it keeps being repeated is because that is the main topic. That's what Jesus has been preaching on, salvation, how to enter into the kingdom of God, sanctification, how to be a disciple and remain in the kingdom of God. So that's what he's focusing on here. So in this passage,
1: he focuses on this idea of the kingdom of God. So let's look at the passage again. So let's look at verse 13. So the children, people were bringing little children to
0: Jesus for him to place their hands on. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Uh, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, if you look at this passage, you see that uh, there's a very crowded scene and many people coming to Jesus since verse 1. And the disciples are nowhere to be seen in the narrative or in the scene. They're like, the rich man comes to Jesus in the next part, the crowds of people coming. But the only people, the only time we hear the disciples interjecting and being part of the scene was when these people, probably parents or older brothers and sisters, were bringing little children to Jesus. Yes. Now, why was that? Why did they interject? Why did they butt in at this point? They were probably saying, hey, the master is very busy. Can't you see they're very important people here? Don't disturb, right? It's because these little children uh, were nobodies. And the disciples, again, as we remember from last week, they had this idea of greatness, and they only wanted important people, so to speak, to come to Jesus, to be ministered by Jesus. And you know these little children who were brought by their parents or their older brothers and sisters, they were not important whatsoever,
1: but look at the reaction of Jesus. He's angry. He, he's infuriated. He's indignant with his disciples. And again,
0: this causes Jesus, as we've seen, uh, to start with a
1: visual parable. So what does he say? He said, let the children, little children, little children, come to me, And do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these.
0: Truly I tell you anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. So what he says is very important, right? For the children of God belongs to such as these. And that's very, very important. And he says you, if you do not receive the children, the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. Now, that means uh, that as we look at this passage, he's saying that we need to be like little children because only if you are like a little child, then the kingdom of God belongs to you. Only when you're like a little child, will you be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And he repeats it, right? So it means that this is very, very important. We need to pay great attention. So what does it mean, uh, this image of little children? Well, I think we've given a few hints here. Uh, first of all, the little children must be pretty little, right? Because it says that, that he took the children in his arms, okay? And what that means here is that
1: he uh, is actually holding the little child. So it can't be like a big, big kid, right? It must be a little
0: child. So once again, uh, what is that an image of? Well, if we look at the, 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 the visual images of what these little children bring to mind, it's almost like they are little babies. Right? So that's a little baby there being held in the hands of a parent, little child being held in the hands of the parent again. And little children need to be
1: fed, right? That's, that's like little children that need to be fed and they need to be changed. So when you, when you put all these pictures together, Jesus, in relation to the little child, what does a child represent? It
0: represents someone who has to be trusting the parent. It's relying on the parent to be fed. It's relying on the parent to be helped. It's relying on the parent to clean its bum or its pool. And this is what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying, if you want to belong to the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, then what must you do? You must be like a little child and completely rely on Jesus to depend on Jesus, to bring you into the kingdom. What makes this passage very interesting is that it is not just a passage with one visual image. It's not just one visual metaphor, but there are two. The second one comes with the young man who comes straight after This
1: account of the little children. So let's look at the the account of this young man. So, verse 17 says, As
0: Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not fraud, defraud honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then
1: come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great now, if you look at this passage, uh, this man uh, has so much admirable in him, right? He's fit. He runs up to Jesus.
0: He's humble. Falls at his knees before Jesus. He asks good questions. I mean, young people who are rich and fit usually don't think of eternal life, but here's this man. He's serious about it.
1: He's a religious man, so. and he asks the question: What must I do to inherit? eternal life
0: now what he's really thinking of here when you think of this word what must i do to inherit eternal life is this idea of performance works acts he's thinking i've already kept all these uh, laws surely uh, there must be one more that i will do in order to get me over the top
1: right i can finally get over the top and i will inherit no life so his thinking is about what doing what must i do but there's a second aspect of his thinking this idea of good this idea of good he says this idea of good right good
0: that's the action uh, that's why jesus addresses these two things Goodness and doing, right? That's what fills this man's understanding of how to achieve eternal life. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except
1: God alone. Now, if you think of the logic, that, that means that if only God is good, that means humans like myself, like this young man, we
0: cannot be good. That is the pure logic of it. If only God is good, then every other being outside of God cannot be good. And that blows up this whole man's conception of how to gain eternal life. Because the young man is is thinking about eternal life in terms of what? Doing and being good. And we think the same way, isn't it? Uh, So I'm not sure whether you can see, but in my house I have this a uh, little poster up there can you see it says you're a good man charlie brown okay and and i like that poster i think it's uh, I, I look at it quite often i like charlie brown but it it shares a common understanding of uh, the way the world thinks of goodness because we think that charlie brown is a good man why is charlie brown a good man Charlie Brown is a good man because he does good things for Snoopy. He brings food for Snoopy. My picture up there, he's holding the umbrella Snoopy. So we think, do good, you are good. But Jesus says, no, that's not not true at all. Because if you look at the passage, then actually there is only one good person. That is God himself. In fact, if we put ourselves before, before the goodness of God, we see just how pathetic and wretched sinners we really are. It's like, you know, if you have a dirty shirt, or, well, you know, I have a lot of dirty shirts, but when you put it in the laundry, next to all the other clothes in the laundry, it actually looks pretty okay. And that's, that's our conception of good. You know, when we compare our, our goodness to the other people around the world, we think we're pretty okay. But if you compare your dirty shirt compared to a bright, white brand new shirt then it looks fairly dirty well when we compare our goodness to the goodness of god then we are truly lacking we are we are so far below that it's completely black and that's why jesus draws his attention to the fact that only god is good. and we already got a hint of this because in the previous passage remember the pharisees they're talking about divorce
1: and what was the problem with the divorce? Why did God allow the divorce? Because, remember, go up here again, it says,
0: because your hearts were hard. Because your hearts were hard. Now what that means is that even with following the law, even with the law keeping, even with the Pharisees, they could not solve the problem of their hardness of heart. And therefore, even the Pharisees were not good. And the Pharisees are not good. The rich man is not good. There is no one good in this world because our hearts are not So, I want to ask you uh, this question. Let's do another poll. Okay, and this poll basically asks the question, how good
1: do I need to be to gain eternal life? Do I have to be better than average? Do I have to be better than other people? do I have to be pretty good or I cannot be good enough or do I have to be perfectly good like God? Okay, so you
0: can do that for yourself. But actually the correct answer is a trick question, because I cannot be good enough. But if I could be good enough, then I'd have to be perfectly good like God. That's the only way to into life. And we cannot do that because we cannot be good enough. We cannot be like God. We are not
1: God. Now, Jesus then goes on to say, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said,
0: go sell everything you have and give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, he went away sad because he
1: had great wealth. Now, when you read this, the mistake we can make is think, well,
0: giving everything he had, selling everything he had and giving to the poor, that was the thing he had to do, right? That was the good work that he had to do that would make him good. But actually, that would be the wrong way of understanding it based on the quote, the passage, right? Because we already know he cannot be good.
1: So then, what is the point of selling everything you have and giving it to the poor? I think that what that made the rich man was that it would take away his self It would take away his ability to do, to become good. In fact, what is a rich man Without his riches. Think for that. For that moment, right? What is a rich man without his riches? He becomes like a little child. He becomes like
0: the little child of the previous section. He is helpless. He is dependent. He is reliant. He has to only trust in Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with this man. He is making the rich man become like a little child. And that's the third lesson of today, right? The third point of today. Entry into the kingdom of heaven is not based on doing or good. It's based on reliance and trust in Jesus. Okay? So if you look at this uh, diagram that I've made for you, okay, you can see that the problem is uh, that the rich man wanted to do things to be good, but only God is good, so we cannot do things.
1: So this is not the right way to enter to the heaven, kingdom of God. Rather, the right way is to rely and trust on the
0: hands of Jesus. And so actually what Jesus is trying to do in stripping away the man's wealth was
1: so that the rich man will become like the little child and trust and rely upon him follow him. Now, that's the third lesson. Jesus then goes on to expand on what he's already been saying. So he
0: goes on. He said, Jesus, in verse 23, looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God. Then Jesus spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or children, sorry, or father or children, or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, children, sorry, sisters, mothers, children, and peoples, along a persecution. And the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, what Jesus says here is really amazing, because he begins with the rich man. But he expands upon this idea of the rich man to almost all people, right? He starts off with this rich man and he makes it universal, right? Because it says uh, in verse 26, who then can be saved? In verse 27, Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible, but not of God. All things are possible with God. Okay, so as you can see in this passage, you, you, Jesus saying it's not just the rich, but all people, it is impossible to enter into the kingdom God. And how hard is it? How impossible is it? He takes the biggest animal in, the, in, his, in his time and his place, which is a camel, and he takes the smallest object, right, which is the head of the needle, the pin of the, the, the eye of a needle, right, which is like this. Can you see how small this is, right? See how small the eye of a needle is? You can't even see it, right?
1: So imagine if you see my dog, which is here, that's okay can
0: you see my dog, okay, so, you see
1: my dog. Okay, so you see my dog is pretty big
0: can my dog fit into the eye of a needle obviously not so if the dog cannot fit into the eye of a needle then how can a camel fit through the eye of it's impossible and that's how impossible it is for people, men and women to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The entrance is too small, the entrance is too tiny, you can hardly get through. It is impossible for men, but not with God. And that's why we need to follow Jesus. The lesson here, which is the most important lesson here, is in point four. That we need to follow Jesus, because only through Jesus can the impossible become possible. So here I want to show you Uh, this uh, evangelistic track that I've seen before, and I'm sure some of you have seen, where there was no way to get across and enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But through Jesus, God has made the impossible possible. He has
1: made a way to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So as we come today to this passage we are
0: not to be self-reliant, self-confident like the rich young man. Let's do things, let's do good things so that we can be good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. That is not possible. We must humble ourselves and be totally reliant and dependent like a little child, a little baby, a little toddler, and let Jesus hold us and entrust ourselves into his care so that he will bring us into the kingdom of God. So, in conclusion, We need to give up everything for Jesus. Nothing must be an obstacle to stop us from following Jesus and relying. But like this rich young man, there may be many things in our lives which stop us from trusting and relying on Jesus. So I'm going to do another quick quiz for you. This is a picture which I bought from London and
1: it's hanging in my dining room wall. Let's look at this picture. Give yourself a moment. What do you see in this picture? Soak in all the details, okay? okay I'm going to do a poll now. Okay, you've
0: seen the picture? Got it? Okay, look at all the details in this picture. Okay, I'm going to do another poll. And the poll is, what is in the picture? Do you see two men? Uh, do you see a globe of the world? Do you see scientific instruments? Do you see academic books? Do you see wealthy clothes and status symbols? Do you see a, a skull? Expensive oriental carpet, sundial, musical instruments. Now, some of you may be saying, "Hey, where got skull? I don't see a skull. Well, actually, there's a skull there. It's down at the bottom. And what this picture was actually trying to show, uh, apparently understanding the intent of the painter, was to show that all these things end in death, status, Academic achievement, musical talent, art, uh, status, uh, wealth, the world, they all end in this. And indeed, that was true. And that's why the rich man went away very sad. He was unwilling to give away the things of this world in order to gain eternal life. He was unwilling to give away the things of the world in order to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, you can give all these things away and you can get a hundred times more all these things
1: through the fellowship of believers in this world. Also with persecution, but at the very end, you will inherit
0: the kingdom of God and that will make it all worth it. So for you, as we come to the very end, what treasure keeps you from following Jesus? Because as we've seen, you cannot do anything to enter the kingdom. You cannot be good enough to enter the kingdom. You have to become like a little child so that you belong to the kingdom and that you are able to. enter. So what stops you from following Jesus? I'd like to end there. I'd like you to think about it. And in our discussion groups later on, uh, you can discuss how do you struggle with receiving Jesus like a little child? How do you struggle in giving out everything to follow? So I'll close in prayer now. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you, we really want to thank you for your word which speaks so powerfully to us. Teach us not to be like the world and seek to find excuses or to rationalize and make loopholes for our sin, but to do your will. Help us to be faithful to the oneness and the permanence of marriage. We pray that uh, we will realize that we cannot be good, we cannot do things to gain the kingdom of heaven, but rather we need to entrust ourselves like little children but to the care of Jesus, so that we may be brought into the kingdom of God through Him on the cross. We pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to
0: this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For
1: more information, visit us online at btbc.sg.